it's no, I think it's no secret we are under attack. I think it's no secret that you understand that there's a storm that's raging. And I'm going to tell you, you better know this, this did not come from God, okay? Now, sometimes I understand that God will remove his hand and let things happen uh, as, you want to call it judgment, you want to call it the law of sowing and reaping, you want to call it whatever you want to call it, but here's the thing, there's no evil in God. Sickness is not in God. Healing is in God. Depression is not in God. Joy is in God. Can I get somebody to help me? So that, that being said, we know where this virus came from. It came from the pits of hell. But I want to go beyond the virus. The virus, you need to understand something, is a tool that the enemy is using for a bigger attack. The bigger attack, as crazy as this may sound to some of you, the bigger attack is bigger than the virus itself. The bigger attack is the aftermath of what, is, what this world and what I want to talk to you today about, the church and your family and your life is going to look like after the virus, after a vaccine, after things get back to somewhat normal or what they're trying to call the new normal. Are you alive out there, church? I'll drink to that. Praise God. We're under attack. There are forces used to be just behind the scene, but you need to hear me. They are coming out of the darkness, and they are not afraid now to begin to reveal their intentions. Where they used to try to do their intentions behind the scenes, there is an absolute open attack against the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide like never before. I wish somebody would say amen. Whether you agree with it or not, it is happening. Not only just an attack against the church, there's an attack against morals. There's an attack against Christian beliefs. There is also an attack against our economy. There's an attack against our liberties. And there's an attack against our freedom. Well, I asked you this question last week. I'm going to ask you again. When this thing is over, when I'm talking about this thing, I mean the craziness of this phase. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like when the dust clears. And I keep hearing everything about the new normal. And I keep hearing everything about that. Even if it looks like what they're trying to define as the new normal, and that actually ends up being the world that we're in, I'm still talking about that's what we're going to call this thing is over. You're going to have a story to tell. Your kids are going to have a story to tell. Your grandkids are going to have a story to tell. Your church is going to have a story to tell. And my question to you is, what will your story be? Will your story be a story of, of fear or will it be a story of faith? Will it be a story of weakness or will it be a story of power? Will it be a story of the season and the time that you are so confused, so depressed, so whatever, and I'm not belittling that, that you chose to take that time to walk away from God and the church or you might be the one that said, well, it proved to me, everybody had online church, so that proved to me that if they can do that, I don't really need the building, and you just decided to check out of organized local church, and you want to make online church your church forever. Not being critical, but now some people, they have to do that. 
Some people have to make that decision because they, they have conditions in their body that will not allow them to get out. They're what we call a shut-in. Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe they're in a nursing home. Maybe they're taking care of a special needs child that can't be left alone. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about uh, will your story change because this is what I'm thankful for for you. Oh, my goodness, I'm thankful for this technology that I'm able to talk to you live right now, that we're able to feel the anointing like we feel in this building right now, and I know you feel in your house too. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not talking to the people that have to be home. I'm talking about people. Are you? Is your story going to be that you believed the lie and fell into the trap that is what is going on little by little by little? You're trying to be taught that you don't need corporate worship anymore, that you don't need to come together anymore, and you got to be careful because when you check out of that when this is over and you're still going to call yourself a believer and you're still going to call yourself a worshiper, you better know this. I'm going to show you in just a minute that that decision is diametrically opposed to the command of God. Y'all hear all them people shouting? Thousands of them shouting right now. Not really. Most of them are sitting there because they just stepped on their toes. Come on. Are you going through any kind of storm right now? Do you feel like a hurricane has hit your finances, has hit your job, has hit the normalcy of your life? I do. I feel like I've been blindsided. I don't know about y'all, but it's hard sometimes to even remember what day of the week it is. Can anybody feel me? Huh? Used to. Fridays was special. Fridays ain't even nothing no more. Friday's just another day for a lot of people. I'm going to tell you something. Last week I talked about trees. Psalm, one, Psalm chapter 1, I'm going to read three verses. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, said, blessed is the man. Somebody shout, I'm blessed. Woo, somebody shout, I'm blessed. Huh? Blessed is the man. Watch, watch, what, make, watch what makes him blessed. Who walks not in the counsel, listen, or the advice of the ungodly. You better be careful. I'm going to stop right there for a second before I go any further. You better be careful who is speaking into your life. You better be careful whose advice. I'm not saying you can't take advice from somebody that's not a believer, but I'm just saying this. If the advice from somebody that's not a believer is superseding the advice of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, you better check who's speaking into your life. You want to be blessed? You better make sure that you're getting counsel how to get through this time of your life through godly people. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners. That doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be around sinners because you got to be around them to shine the light on them. But in other words, it means when you're having your private time, when you're spending your time, your downtime all the time, not sometime, but all the time, and you're, you're never spending quality time with people who are speaking Jesus into your life, let me tell you something. They will begin to infect you. You will not infect them. So be careful. Jesus preached to the multitudes. He preached to thousands. Because he, and they were all unbelievers. He loved them. But in, when he spent his quiet time, his downtime, he spent that around a campfire with his disciples. Be careful who is in your inner circle. Can I get somebody to say amen? Nor, seats in the, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, the avengeful, 
Don't sit around people who have a bitter spirit. You want to be blessed? Get away from bitter spirit people. Huh? They're, they're, they're like a cancer, man. They will infect you. They're the giant sucking sound that sucks the joy out of every situation. Woo, I'm preaching good. I ain't even got to my introduction. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, the word supersedes, listen to this, the word supersedes the counsel of the ungodly, the path of sinners, and the seed of the scornful. But we have a people who have placed the counsel of many, not all, some of them are godly, but many ungodly, we have superseded in our lives the counsel of the ungodly over the word of the Lord. Woo! Boy, I tell you what, I've, I've been trying to get kicked off of Facebook. I may end up doing it. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, now stop for a second and think about this. If you walk not in the counsel of the godly, if you don't stay in the paths of sinners, if you don't sit in the seat of the scornful, if you delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, all of those are the requirements, comma, that person, somebody shout, that's me. Even if you don't feel like it, you shout, that's me. Huh? Come on, that's a faith statement. Shout, that's me. Y'all understand when I say y'all shout, y'all got to shout because y'all are all I got, okay? Thank you. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in season and whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Woo! Do you claim that for your life? I'm telling you right now, I know it don't feel like everything your hands are touching is prospering, but let me tell you something. You, you, the devil plays the long game. He's really good at playing a long game, but Christians... They are notorious for playing a short game. They, are, they will praise God when they get a raise and quit church two weeks later. Huh? You need to, you need to have a relationship that's a long game. You need to, be, you need to begin to believe just because I don't see something, I can call those things that are not as though they were. That's what faith is. So declare that everything your hands are touching is prospering. Look at your hands and say, look at them prospering hands. My God, everything these hands touch are going to prosper. See, trees, they don't stop growing when the seasons change. I'm not talking about dead trees. I'm talking about trees that are still have life in them are growing. They grow, they look like they only grow in the spring and the summer. But they're still growing in the bitter winter. They grow through every season. They have internally within them, I don't know if I would even call it an instinct because it's an inanimate object. It's a living object, I should say, but it doesn't have a soul or anything. But God put within the, the, the makings of a tree to do what he has to do in the winter to sustain his life, to make sure that there's hope within them. When that first bud comes out on the end, there's sign, oh, I'm about to get to shine again. I'm about to get to blossom again. But if they don't do what they're supposed to do in the dry season, in the cold season, in the winter months, they're not going to be able to do what they desire to do in the spring and the summer months. Oh, I'm preaching good. See, Every tree grows through every season. Say that with me. I'm going to grow through every season. 
No matter what it looks like, when things, the economy's kicking, the economy is, is in reverse. When, when uh, all this is gone, when there's no issues like this going on, and we're, when we're right in the middle of it, it seems like we're going to lose everything we got. We've still got to be committed to grow. What's your story going to look like? What's it going to sound like when it's over? See, a few things you need to know about trees. Number one, as I just said, they grow through every season. They don't stop growing. Their growth might be stunted. It might be much smaller in dry seasons and much smaller in, in winter seasons, but they're still growing. And, and by the way, in the dry season, they can still grow in the dry season. And the only way you can truly, a tree can truly grow in the dry season is they have to have an unseen tap into some source of water that you don't even know they know about. Mm, come on. I'm telling you right now, I've watched people go through hell on earth and become stronger in God in the midst of the hell that is being attacked. In them, and nobody around them can understand how in the world they could be growing and praising and, and, and faith growing in the midst of loss and devastation. It's because they're, they're tapped into something that you can't see. See, there's only a few things that's needed for a tree to grow. The first, of course, is the very beginning. You can never have a tree without a seed. It starts at a seed or a seedling. It always has to have a start. No matter how big the tree is, no matter how massive the tree is, no matter what kind of tree is, they don't just grow out of thin air. There's a seed. Somebody shout a seed. So there has to be a seed. It's amazing to me the number of people in the body of Christ that want they're asking God to bless them, but they never sow seed. They want to get a harvest. They want God to bless them, but they never sow a seed. Listen, you can't get a harvest unless you plant something. Well, so they need to have a seed. Second thing is, Preferably, they need to be planted in fertile soil. See, it's one thing for you to be a seed, but it's another thing to be planted into good ground, a seed being planted into good ground. Okay, I'll come back to that. And the third thing it needs is sunlight. It's, it's very intricate how all this happens and works together. But when you look at it that way, it's pretty simple. You need a seed, you need some fertile ground. You need some water, and you need some sunlight, and then you get a tree. So Jesus said, that's what religion is. Religion is man's way of taking something simple and making it complicated. You, we've, made, we've made being planted by the rivers of water complicated. We've made, we've made producing fruit and being who God has called us to be complicated. It's not complicated. Just become a seed for the Lord. Let him plant you where he wants to plant you into good ground. Let him water you with the word. Come on in the Holy Ghost and let him shine on you, praise God, and you'll grow. Oh, no, you want to make a decision to check out. You don't want to plant anywhere. You don't want to put roots down anywhere. And you wonder why you're not growing. Now, let me tell you something real quickly about the seed. Are y'all still with me? Solid Rock, are you with me? Oh, yeah, we have a church. We ain't going nowhere. I just took myself all the way back to the 90s. Some of y'all have no idea what just happened. Kirk Franklin, come on. Now, 
I can tell you something funny. Some of y'all ain't going to get this at all. But when, he, when Kirk Franklin came out with that song, his band was called God's Property. And he'd say, GP, are you with me? So, so I'm Papa to my grandbaby. So we've been trying to come up with all kinds of names for my kid's Papa, which is, which is my wife's dad, my father-in-law. He's Papa to everybody else. But who, who, if I'm Papa to my grandbaby, he can't be Papa because that's going to be confusing. So, so they come up with Grandpapa, which now they've shortened it down to GP. And we, we, we was hanging out with him a couple days ago, and I said, GP, are you with me? Everybody in the room started going, oh, yeah, we have a church no going away. Papa did not get that joke. Praise God. He might be watching right now. I'm sure he is watching. GP, Grandpapa, we love you. You're awesome. By the way, he's also got about five other names. Focus, Larry. Get off the rabbit trail. Come back. Come back. Come back. See, let me tell you something about the seed. The seed, until it is placed into the, into the pattern of what I just told you that has to happen, into ground, into good ground, water, of course, then there's fertilizer, and then there's sunshine. All the seed is until that moment is potential. That's all it is. It's potential. It cannot go beyond its potential without the decision on somebody to plant that, poten that potential. Let me give you an example. You go to a store and you see a packet of seeds. You buy a packet of okra seeds. On the front of that little package about this big is what? Not a picture of a seed. What is it a picture of? Somebody help me. It's a picture of the okra plant. It's a picture of the potential that is in that package. It is a picture of the potential that could come forth from that seed if you do with that seed what you're supposed to do. So, if you buy that seed packet and you get all excited about, wow, I'm going to have some okra, and you just put it in a shelf and close the door, then guess what you've just done? You've just locked up the potential of that seed. I'm telling you, that is one of the things, one of the ways. Listen to me. I'm not trying to say this is the only way. But being a part of a local church, being a part of a local congregation is one of the ways that God takes your potential and plants you somewhere so that you can truly grow into what He predetermined you were supposed to be. That's called equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The reason some people never achieve their potential is because they've looked at the package, they've read what God said they could do, but they can't, they've never seen that potential come to fruition because they've never allowed God to plant them into some good ground and to be able to stay there and hunker down no matter what season goes out there, knowing that God has placed them where they're supposed to be, and now they can grow. Woo! I'm going to dance myself happy. Potential. Say this with me. I've got a potential, but I'm more than my potential. Huh? See, as long as you just think you've got potential, you'll never walk in your purpose. Your potential is your purpose. We want to move you. We want to see you move from your potential to your purpose. Oh, that's good preaching right there. Now, 
I'm going to show you an example of what I'm talking about. Are we going to put these, uh, that picture, that video on the screen or is it going to be on the computer? All right, so, so uh, what we're going to do is I'm just going to, you just give me a thumbs up if it's there. I want to show you a picture of a seed. Give me a thumbs up when you see that picture. I want to show you a picture of a seed. All right, do you see that seed? Do you see how tiny that seed is? I believe that's a dime sitting beside it. That is a seed. Let me tell you what that is a seed of. Now, I want you to watch this. I'm not going to be able to see it, but you're going to see it. You give me the thumbs up when it starts. You give me the thumbs up when it ends. I want you to watch this video of the potential that's in that seed. This is what you're looking at. Watch this. National Geographic has a long history with oh, redwood trees. Oh, yeah. We photographed a <laughs> 300-foot-tall, 1,500-year-old tree that survived being cut. The scientists that study these trees, this is their favorite tree. It's the most complex architectural wow. tree on Earth that's known. But photographing it is nearly impossible. Wow. Is that incredible? That, ladies and gentlemen, was a seed that produced that tree. That's called a redwood tree. Some of them are 350. It has been rumored, not rumored, but it is fact, historical fact. Some of them were 450 feet high, but they were cut down back in the seven, early 1800s in logging. The biggest trees that were in those forests have, are long gone. The trees that are there now are about two-thirds, they say, of the size of the trees that were cut down first and used to make furniture and all this kind of stuff before it became a national park and was shut down. These redwood trees are literally one of the seven wonders of the world. They are unbelievable. It sounds crazy to believe this, but I have stood in that forest. Follow me on this camera. I want to show you something. I don't know how long this, this stage is, but picture a tree trunk as wide as from where I'm walking all the way to the other side of this stage, and that is not even the biggest. That's how big the stumps of these trees are. You saw that in that picture. There is another tree that's called the president is what they call it. It's a sequoia tree. They believe when you factor in the limbs and the stump and the tree, there is more wood in that tree than any other tree in the entire world, and that tree is in the United States of America, in the Sequoia Forest. These trees are unbelievable. But remember, a tree cannot grow without water. A tree cannot grow without good soil. A tree cannot grow without a healthy root system. A tree cannot grow without sunshine. The seed, but, but, but doesn't it blow your mind, church, that is watching this, that those seeds that you saw that was less than a tenth of the size of a dime was a seed one day, they say 2,500, 3,000 years ago, somehow got, fell off another tree or something. We don't know. Fell into the ground of the coast of what is now California and Oregon and Washington State on the coastal banks, and the ground was fertile, 
They say, this is their, their theory, from, from the remnants of volcanic eruptions and all of these other things created and the wind blowing off the water, the wind uh, and, the, and the storms and all that that happened during that time. But that little tiny tree, 2,500 to 3,000 years ago, was that big. And now they stand as tall as some skyscrapers in some smaller cities. So you think about... The years that it took to grow. But wait a minute. This is the way a preacher's mind thinks. I don't just think about the years that it took for that tree to grow. I think about the amount of water that it took over 3,500 years to grow that tree. One tree, not to mention an entire forest. I told you last week, and I'm not going to re-preach it, one of the coolest things about a redwood is no matter how tall they are, their roots only go about five or six feet deep, but they spread out 100 to 150 feet in every direction. And, and when you're in a forest, if you've ever gone through the redwood forest, if you've ever seen a picture of the redwood forest, you'll know there's pretty good space between a lot of them. A lot of that's because they've been logged over the years, but a lot of it's just because of the way they grow because they've got to have room. When they get up there, the canopies connect. It, not, they don't, not only do the roots ball connect, but the canopies connect, and it creates very little sunshine to go through, so there's not a whole lot of room for other trees to grow in between now. But when you walk through it now, if you ever, whoo, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you ever get a chance, oh, I can't wait till I go back. I can't wait. I know it's going to be just, I, don't, I know you're going to think this is crazy what I'm about to say. And I'm not in, the, in a moment putting it on the same level as when I finally one day get to go to Jerusalem and I finally one day get to go to Israel. I know it's a shocker. I've never been there. I've heard about how it feels. I can't wait. But I'm telling you, they, they, I'm not even comparing them, but the same kind of overwhelming weeping. I know it's going to happen on me when I walk in that forest again because the first time I walked into it, I walked into it a 10th grader in high school with very little appreciation of what I was seeing. But this time, when I walk through it, and I walk through the forest and I take my kids and my grandkids and my family walking through it, I'll be able to tell them, y'all don't forget, beneath us, even though we're walking on grass, even though we're walking on, 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 on limbs and pine, and it looks like there's nothing beneath us, everywhere around us, all of these trees are connected beneath us. That's incredible. They, they literally fuse themselves together. So when the storm comes, instead of relying on their, their root ball, because you can imagine if you're that tall, think about how top-heavy you are and how easy it would be for that tree to fall over. You see it in every storm that comes through where you're at. If the ground is wet at all, it don't take a whole lot to bring the whole root ball up with it. Because they're, especially if they're, they're big trees that have a lot of leaves, limbs up top, but not the redwoods. They've stood the test of time. Why? Because they are in it together. They are committed to each other. They are grabbing water from their neighbor, but they're also giving water to their neighbor. Woo! When you walk across the soil, you'll know that beneath us is the perfect teaching and preaching and example. Oh, you better know this. When I stand there, I will be having a camera with me, and I will be making a video. I will be preaching about what's beneath me, Jesus. See, so they connect on the bottom, and they're so big in many, not all of them, but in many cases, their limbs connect at top because they only have so far to grow when you get up there. 
It's unbelievable. And some of them are staying isolated because so many was logged around them. But in the day before the logging, it was not just a root ball connected beneath, but it was a canopy connected at top. It was the branches touching and connecting. It's one thing for the roots to connect. It's another thing for the branches to connect. Do you understand that when, you know what they call this? When you break an arm, they call it breaking a limb. A limb is another word for a branch. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Come on. Jesus said when any two or three of you could touch and agree. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And what is, what, is, what is the enemy trying to remove from the church? Touch. Trying to tell us we'll never shake hands again. Trying to tell us that even five, ten years from now, the church needs to have signs all over the wall. No, no handshaking here. Listen, I'm not trying to tell you if you're not comfortable with it, you've got to shake my hand. But I'm telling you right now, we were not created to be isolated. We were not created to not be in the same room with other people. I wish I had somebody to help me. I'm talking about we were created by a creator. He created us to fellowship. Isn't Jesus Christ our example? Are we not supposed to be following Jesus? Did he isolate himself other than when he went to pray? Most of Jesus' ministry was spent around people. Are you hearing me? The only time he ever isolated himself, and you need to do this as well, is when he needed to get alone and talk to his father. He walked through the crowds. They, it wasn't him that tried to stop people from touching him. It was the religious people that tried to, oh, oh my God, I just got a rhema. That same spirit that tried to stop the people from praising God when Jesus entered into the temple on Palm Sunday, the same spirit that tried to stop them from touching him when the woman with an issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, tried to push people away, that same religious spirit is trying to raise its head again. But I'm telling you, there's a remnant of people just like the woman with the issue of blood that is deciding, I don't care if I, I don't need to touch Pastor Larry, but I need to touch Jesus. And some... Sometimes the only way you can really get in his presence is to get in the presence of his people. God Almighty. If I'm preaching like this with one, two, three, four, five people, you don't even know what I'm going to preach like when I got 500. Jeez. Wait a minute. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because I ain't going to preach no different. Because I'm going to preach to one like I'm going to preach to a thousand. I was just messing with you although I will be pretty excited. And I'm not making any promises of what I might do. I may have a rope tied. I may swing out of the congregation like Garth Brooks. Come on, somebody. I might rise up. Out of, no, now you're doing that. I want you to think about this. The amount of water that one tree needs in one day then multiply that times a whole forest and multiply that times 2,000 years. And, if, and think about what type of reservoir it would take just to hold the water. Let me tell you something about water. Is this good preaching? It's 1126 if you're taking medicine. If you're watching this live, go ahead and take your pill and stay with me. But why didn't y'all laugh? Could y'all at least have laughed? Come on, just at least help me. Thank you. Is that the first time you ever heard that one? Praise God. 
Watch this. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, do you know about water? Say something cool about water. See, that's why it's good to have somebody in the sanctuary because my mind. Bunny trails. Water. <laughs> Focus like water. Tell you something about water. Even people that don't believe in God, even people that don't believe in creation still believe this. They believe it is a scientific belief that there has never been new water created. The water that we have is the same water we've always had. That's a scientific fact. It is all recycled. Evaporation, condensation, precipitation. It's, it, so in other words, when I began to study that years ago, I began to realize because you got the jet streams, you got all this stuff that happens in the atmosphere during evaporation, I began to think, I, my mind just started going crazy. I started thinking, so the bottom line is this, it's possible that when I drink this water, which was not created in the Nestle plant, they did not put hydrogen and oxygen together and make this. This is just, I hate to break it to you, all the bottled water that you're drinking, just about all of it, except the high dollar stuff, is just the same stuff that come out of your, come out of your own tap, except it runs through some kind of filter. And we all think that it's greater. But how many knows my generation drank from a hose pipe? In fact, in the summer, they wasn't nothing better. Come on. But now if I try to drink from one, it tastes nasty for some reason because I'm spoiled. But watch this. When I drink this water, it is entirely possible that I'm drinking a minute amount of water that Jesus drank. It's possible. Maybe not likely, but possible. But here's the reality. That's why, that's why they talk about preserving water. That's why they talk about, to California, what, what can we do uh, to help water uh, be preserved in, in California and Arizona and so forth? Because they know once the water table's gone, it's gone. There's no new water. Now, we lose a little bit of water, but we don't create water. So that being said, the water that it has taken just to grow the redwoods for thousands of years is an unbelievable amount of water. Now, it would be incredible, and it would actually be devastating to think about the, about the amount of water, not just the redwoods, but that every tree in the entire world needs. Are y'all hearing me? I'm trying to make you think for a minute. It, we're talking about redwoods, but now think about every single tree on every piece of land in the world. They all have to have water. Some more than others, some very little. But eventually they have to have water. Even a cactus has water in it because it has got water somewhere and preserved it. So then you ask yourself, if they have, think one day. One day, think of one day the amount of water that it takes to feed every single tree in the world. Okay? One day. Now let's multiply that times seven days, every tree in the world, then multiply that times 30 or 31 days a month, 
in the whole world. Would you not begin to think if God had not established a system of recycling what we need to grow, we would have run out a long time ago. Are y'all hearing me, church? See, because trees, as crazy as this sounds, this is a, another crazy thing about water. I think two-thirds of the world's covered by water. Am I right? Most of it is undrinkable. If it's undrinkable, it's also 99% of the time will not feed a tree and give life. So if you see a tree on an island in the middle of an ocean that's growing, it's not growing from ocean water. It's growing from fresh water that is being in that system, evaporation, condensation, precipitation, and it's falling down on the ocean but also on the island. So when you think about that, how in the world are we still supposed to grow? It's overwhelming if you don't know how it works. So now listen to this. Mm-mm-mm-mm. i got to read this to you. If you're still with me, give me a thumbs up. Come on, somebody. Come on, y'all give me a thumbs up in here. Give me a fist bump. Give me a fist bump. Fist bump in here. Fist bump in here. Give me a fist bump out here. Give me some high fives. Give me some praying hands. Give me some dancing emojis. Praise God. Come on, come on, somebody. Give me something online. Let me know. Let me know. Let me know. You're still with me. Hallelujah. Listen to this. How much water does it take for one redwood? Listen to this. The only way, I'm reading this directly word for word from the Redwood Forest National Park website. This is not my words paraphrasing what they're saying. Word for word. The only way that we can pump water to a greatest height is the top of a redwood. He's talking about in the natural world we live in, as far as buildings, structures. The only way we could ever get water up that high is that we would have to have uh, multiple booster pumps at different levels along the skyscraper if we were trying to do it. So how can a tree do it? There is a constant upward flow of water from the roots to the utmost part of the tree, 300 feet high or more. Scientists have discovered that water molecules interact with the sides of the capillary tubes that is, in essence, the plumbing that carries the water and nutrients up to the tree. This interaction creates, watch this, a bond which drags the water column up from within it. At the same time, oh, this is, this is the powerful part. At the same time, Simultaneously, while this tree has a design feature from God within it that is sucking water up hundreds of feet, simultaneously at the same time, the water is evaporating through the leaves at the top, which creates a natural vacuum that pulls the water up as well. Woo, that's good preaching. And I'm reading from a website. At some point, though, the attraction and the tree's suction are not strong enough to maintain the column of water with the result that the tree has, when the result of the tree has reached its maximum height. So at some point, they become so big that the natural 
design of what comes out of the roots as well as the vacuum that is created when it is evaporated out of the leaves is no longer enough to get the tree the amount of water it needs. One tree. I'm continuing to read. Scientists and researchers estimate that one mature tree requires hundreds of gallons of water every day. One tree, hundreds of gallons of water to survive. And for this reason, the roots need an ample supply of water. Redwood trees thrive. Everybody say thrive. They thrive in the river bottoms where they obviously have access to lots of groundwater. But these giant trees also, I'm reading, quoting straight from the website, make their own rain out of fog. The moisture in the air condenses between the leaves and eventually drips down to the root zone. It is believed that one of the reasons redwoods have adapted to their great height is because the higher the tree, the more moisture it can provide for itself. And this reason they thrive along Northern California's Pacific coast is because the area often gets a daily fog. So now listen to me. If you really want to be who God wants you to be, you better have some roots. You better be connected to some other people. You better be a, you better be a part of a forest. Huh? You don't want to be a tree that needs that much nourishment, nourishment out there by yourself. Be connected to others. When the storm comes, you can hold each other up. Are you with me? Secondly, you need to touch and agree in your limbs with somebody else up top. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Thirdly, you need to make sure that you are constantly praising God whatever level you're at because that the leaves releasing the water is you giving God praise for what he has given you. Praise God. It's funneling through you. You ain't hoarding it up to yourself. Oh, come on, somebody. When, you have, when it evaporates, I ain't got to the other part about the dripping. The evaporates don't go down. Evaporates goes up. Y'all ain't hearing me. Do you understand? Even in the process of evaporation, condensation, and precipitation teaches us in the natural the process and the blessing of praise. See, the blessing of praise, even when you don't feel like it, you give what you got and you send it up. And when you send it up, something supernaturally happens. See, you don't be, you can't see evaporation. It's invisible. Evaporation is happening all around us all the time, and we can't see it. But something supernatural happens when it gets to the heavenlies. Come on, somebody. All of a sudden, what you couldn't see that left the earth all around you, standing in front of a mud puddle, what happens to the mud puddle? Oh, come on. It disappears one day if there's no more rain. Where did it go? You can't stand in 
and watch it leave. Praise God. But little by little, it disappears. Where did it go? It goes up into the heavenlies. It is caught in the system that's up there. It cre- a cloud creates it. It stays up in the heavenlies. And more and more and more and more and more is gathered together until eventually that cloud's too heavy. It can't hold it anymore. And then it begins to rain down. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. My God, when you got five people in the room giving praise to God, who knows? It might be those five people praising God that sends a rain on 500 people. Jesus. So those leaves are constantly giving God the praise. They're releasing the moisture. But as they're doing it, the more you give praise to God, the more you make room for God to send you. Remember it said, that the, the website said, it, the act of evaporation and releasing what you've got within you to God creates a natural vacuum to be replenished with fresh water. I don't care who you are, that's good preaching. But now wait a minute. Wait a minute. There comes a time when even that is not enough for you to finish the race. To get to the height that God ordained you to be at. That is when you got to make your own reign. That's when you got to make sure that you are planted not just in fertile ground, but in soil that is in the fog. Come on, y'all hear me. Some of y'all know where I'm going. Fog is spelled F-O-G. And y'all thought I was talking about the natural fog that rolls in off of, off of the coast of California, but I'm talking about the favor of God. Well, the F-O-G, baby. Some of y'all need to say it right now. I'm standing in the fog. I'm planted in the fog. Because as long as you got as you around the favor of God, the favor of God don't make sense, y'all. It don't make sense. It will come on you and when you least expect it. It will come on you when you ask for it. And it will come on you when you don't even ask for it. It will come on you when God knows you need it for that moment. And when it comes on you, oh, this is what I love. This is what I love, y'all. I'm almost through. I love that this is what the Redwood Web, Web, Redwood Web, 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 the Redwood website says. When the fog rolls in and those giant redwoods receive that moisture within the leaves, which is the limbs, which is the realm of praise, it creates a rain. But now watch this. And it's so powerful that it says that it doesn't stay on the leaves. It drips down to the floor of the forest. In other words, not just to, to give itself water again, but don't, because don't forget, every root is connected to another tree. So the redwoods teach us that when the favor of God comes on them, the fog, and they're praising God and they're releasing the evaporation to God, but in the midst of it, when they know they need more moisture and they finally get it, 
Don't be like some Christians. Get blessed by God and hoard it all to yourself. Uh-huh. Some of y'all got that stimulus check, went out and bought a TV, didn't even tithe on it, didn't do nothing for God with it. Well, well, somebody, huh? You got all excited. You're going to get you a new smart TV or get excited to get you whatever, fill in the blank. You forgot all about the fact that that was God blessing you with favor. Watch what the Redwoods teach us. Take what you need and drip the rest. And if all the trees are doing it at the same time, you can't separate one tree's rain from another tree's rain. It just dampens the floor bed of the whole forest. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And if this tree is getting enough through the natural vacuum that it needs, then the rest of the moisture is left for the next tree. But that next tree might not even have made the rain. It was the tree that didn't need it anymore. I'm telling you, when you begin to be, when you fully understand what the body of Christ is, is about and why we meet and why we gather, you better know this. We can't accept the new normal that says we can't be a forest together. We can't accept the new normal that says we can't touch and agree. We can't accept the new normal that says we can't connect our roots together. We can't accept that because eventually not only will we die, but people that we love will die. People that are not as strong as you. Closing number six. I'm closing. I really am. Oh, it's awesome that I'm just preaching the Redwood Forest website. Last thing I'm going to read and I'm done. Quoting, once again, word for word about the Redwoods. Listen to this. You would think that a 350-foot-tall tree would have deep roots. I read part of this last week. I've already preached it. That's not the case. Redwood trees are very, roots are very shallow, often only five or six feet deep, but they make up for it in width, sometimes extending up to 100 feet from the trunk or more. But here's the next part I want to read to you. They thrive in thick groves where the roots can intertwine and even fuse together. This gives them tremendous strength against the forces of nature. This way they can withstand high winds and raging floods. Now, I've already told you that and preached that, but what I wanted you to hear directly from that website is this. They thrive when they're next to another tree. Oh, if trees could talk. If redwoods could talk. I'm sure there's some redwoods in there at some point in their growth. When they looked around and they saw how much bigger and greater they were than all the other trees. If the redwoods were like some people that we know, or maybe even people in your church, maybe even you, if the redwoods could talk and they would act like some people, and they started growing, they started getting bigger than everybody else, instead of thinking, what can I do to make sure all these others grow with me? If they could walk and if they could talk, the redwoods would probably leave the forest, go find them their own spot to where when people walked in that area, the only tree they looked at was that tree. They would replant themselves. Or how about this? If trees could walk and talk and act like we do, some trees, the first sign that the 
natural vacuum that's in place in the root system of getting what we need dries up, here's what people will say. Well, you know what? I've been going to that church for many, many years, and I used to grow all the time, but I feel like I'm just not growing anymore. If I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say that over 25 years, not being fed anymore, that's what they say. But what they don't realize is it ain't because they're not being fed anymore. It's because God's got them at a place now that the only way they're going to grow beyond where they're at is to give what they got to others that are not where they're at. See, true redwoods, true strong Christians thrive in groups of people. True redwoods, true believers intertwine and fuse their faith together. If one can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. If we're going to survive this storm, if we're going to make it, y'all, we're going to make it together. Thank God for this technology. Some of you are watching with your family, some of you are sitting there, and every week you've had to watch by yourself. And you've praised God and you've done the best you can, but you're lonely. You hate this. You turn on the TV for some encouragement and you hear, stay at home. Don't go anywhere. If you're not careful, those words will penetrate your soul. and You'll accept it as a new normal. But you're never going to be able to fellowship and be with people again. That's a lie. People were not created to live in isolation. Don't pick up your roots and walk away and try to start your own forest. Put your roots down. See, some people want to go deep. Oh, yeah, I want to go to a church that's deep. I want to hear my pastor preach deep things. Oh, this is pretty deep, but I, I look, I, I'm not bragging on myself, but I know I'm a pretty deep preacher, but, I, but I've committed myself almost 30 years ago to teach a deep word but teach it in a simplistic way that people of every walk of life in their in their journey with God can understand it comprehend it and get something from it but a lot of people are just in my opinion too deep sometimes you can be deep for just be just to be deep and it does nobody any good what good is it for you to just be deep if your roots just if the roots of a redwood just went straight down what good would that be they can claim they're deep. My God, I'm deep. I'm a deep teacher. I'm my pastor, my evangelist that I follow is deep. Well, eventually, if you just keep growing straight down, you're going to hit the, the crust of the earth where nothing lives. The only place where other things live is on the surface. So go down deep, but make a decision at some point to go out. Because if you don't, you're just growing deep for yourself. Just so you can put a badge on every time you go another 10 foot deep. Look at me. I'm deep. I'm deep. I'm deep. What good is it to follow somebody trying to preach and speak in your life when you don't understand a word they're saying? I'm sorry. I like good deep preaching too. I don't mind going back and looking at my notes and having to look something, read something, or listen to something five times before I get it. But if i got to get up here and use big words and take you down a deep trail 
that you're never going to be able to understand because I'm such an intellectual uh, higher person than you? What good have I done? I've just puffed up myself. Let a redwood teach you about the power of depth and the power of outreach. Don't be deep for deep's sake. Tell you something. I'm done. Hallelujah. I hope I got this because I want to read this to you. Somebody say this with me. All over the world is watching this. In this church, in this building, and everybody's watching me. I want you to say this with me. I commit myself for the rest of my life to pursue. The purpose that God established for my life. And I declare that my purpose never was intended to only be about me. And even only about my family. They are first. But God has called me to have a purpose that exceeds what I ever dreamed and to touch and help grow other people's lives. I'm going to tell you, the writer of Hebrews said it powerful. This cannot be replaced by a new normal. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Are y'all hearing me? For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day. And in your Bible, day is capitalized. Not a day. The day approaching. They're trying to take that away. The enemy is trying to take that away. Here's the day that he's talking about. That's in chapter 10. Now, it's a letter, remember? It wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was written in letter form. But if you want to help your mind understand, that's chapter 10. Guess what comes after chapter 10? Chapter 11. What is chapter 11 known for? It's the faith chapter. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? And the evidence of things not seen. And line upon line in chapter 11... Right after he says this in chapter 10, he tells you all about the faithfulness of the hall of faith is what it's called. Most of them had faith in the midst of great adversity. So he says, do not forsake. That's King James talk. Here's 
here's what it means. Don't stop gathering together like some have told you to do, as the matter of some is. But even more so, get together. Connect. Feed each other. Take care of each other. Grow each other. Even more so as you see that day approaching. Watch this. Then he follows it in letter form right after that, but we call it chapter 11, but he's just really continuing reading, um, writing. He lays upon all these examples of faith, and then we get to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is actually what I'm going to be preaching on at the Megaquake Conference this weekend with Paul Begler. I'm going to be preaching on chapter 12. It is in chapter 12, or in continuing the letter, right after telling us to not stop meeting, right after telling us to have great faith in the midst of adversity, he says this, yet once more I shake the earth. Not only will I shake heaven, but earth also. And everything in that day shall be shaken until that which cannot be shaken remains. For the things that are temporal shall be done away with. The things that are eternal shall remain. Let me tell you something. The writer of Hebrews, some believe it was Paul. We don't really fully know, but whoever it was was trying to tell us. There's coming a day that you're going to need great faith. And in the middle of that great faith, in the middle of that great shaking, in the middle of, of things falling away that you thought you needed, but you realize you don't need anymore, you're going to need each other more than you need things. The church is eternal. Buildings are temporal. You hear me? You need to decide today. How are you going to grow? What's your story going to be? Are you going to get bitter? Or are you going to get better? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, those that are watching this live and replay all around the world, let your spirit grab them right now. Let them feel the love of God, the grace and the mercy of God, and cause them to know they need you, Jesus. If they're going to survive this, the first place they got to put roots down is in you, Jesus. Not a church building. They don't know you as Savior, Lord, right now. Just give them the strength to help them call out on your name. If that's you today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, it's as simple as this. You feel that? You feel that pulling at your heart? That's called the conviction. That's not condemnation. That's the Lord loving you. That's the Lord telling you, hey, I know what you've done, but I want you to know I still love you and I want you to come to me. It's called grace. All you got to do is this. Believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. Everybody in here, help me and repeat after me. Those that are watching online, do it. Even if everybody's saved in your house, knowing that you're helping people all over the world, say this with me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You came back from the dead for me. And you love me. No matter what I've done, you still love me. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me for what I've done. Come into my heart and save me. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I will live for you from this moment forward. 
Maybe, maybe you're there and you say, you know what, I was in church for a while. I got burnt out in the church. I got burnt out on God, period. Something calls me to stop and watch this program, and I'm here with you, listening to you right now, and I just feel something telling me, come home, come back. Maybe I don't understand everything, but I, but I just feel the love of God. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the choices that I've made, but I give them all to you today. I'm coming home. Give me a fresh anointing. In Jesus' name. If that's you, if that's you, and you just gave your life to Christ, I want you to comment on YouTube or Facebook and just say, I just got saved. I was born again. I just prayed that prayer, Pastor. If you were that person that had given up on God or the church, but the Holy Spirit kept you gripped to this, this broadcast, and you said at the end of it, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I want you to just say that, Jesus, I'm coming home. Jesus, I'm coming home.